It is great to be back uh, teaching on Sunday morning. It's been a while. Uh, we had a good time on the life course, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. But, you know, it's been a while, and so I figured what better way, you know, to reacquaint the church with me than to share an embarrassing moment. Um, to share an embarrassing moment that it was funny. It, it all came up when I was preparing for this talk. Like, uh, I have all these pictures. If you look at them, all my old pictures, there's all these pictures of me wearing a hat with a BB on it, right? I've actually got one here that you can see, right? That's a good-looking kid. And there's all these pictures. I, w- I wore this hat out. I mean, it got to the point where there's all these pictures with me with just one B, okay? And uh, also notice the Close Encounters of the Third Kind t-shirt. Huh? Huh? The writing was on the wall. I mean, very early. This kid is destined. Um, okay, so where does that come from? Where does that come from? Uh, if people know me, they understand that I'm not considered a jock, okay? <laughs> or, you know, into sports or even adequately athletic, you know, anything like that. And so as a kid, um, I actually, my brother was older than me, and so he got to play baseball. And I wanted to play because my brother got to play, but I couldn't, it wouldn't let me on the, uh, on the little league team. But somehow they managed to let me be the bat boy. And oh boy, that was the hat, the bat boy hat. I didn't have a uniform, right? Didn't get paid, didn't get a lot of respect, but it's who I was, right? It's what I am. I'm the bat boy, right? How, you can't play the game of baseball without a bat boy. Bats would be everywhere, right? And I would take this job very, very seriously. So, you know, I'm waiting. As soon as that ball is hit, but I got to go get the bat. I gotta, somebody else got to get up and hit. I got to get the bat, you know? It's my job. I'm the bat boy. Wait, people depend on me, right? Well, this one game, um, guy hits the ball. It's my job. I'm the bat boy. I go out to get the bat. Well, the play wasn't quite done. So when I go out to get the bat, there's a guy on third. I'd love to tell you it was the ninth inning and the bases were loaded, but I don't remember any of that. But I do distinctly remember looking and seeing somebody running at me from third base. And simultaneously, the pitcher had the ball and is now throwing it to the catcher. And I'm over home plate with my bat. Well, you, you can see where this is going. A massive collision ensues between the bat boy the catcher who's trying to catch the ball, the third base, the guy who's running from third base who's sliding, and I get pelted with the ball. <laughs> now, this is the beginning of the most embarrassing moment ever because, I mean, I, I, mean, I remember the dugout. You know, they're, they're yelling and screaming at me. The coach, um, probably a nice guy, but probably wasn't his day. <laughs> I learned it, a couple new words um, that day. I mean, it didn't... didn't Go back to the dugout. I mean, I just, I had, I was gone, man, after that. And uh, I remember just feeling, you know, totally exposed, totally out there on my own, alone. And, and, and it wasn't like it could just move on after that, too, because what do you do when a bat boy gets hit with a ball? So all the umpires are, like, having a little conference in the middle of the field trying to figure out, like, what do we do? And as far as I know, I'm the only bat boy that's ever caused an out, because that's, they decided to call it an out, and the poor guy 
you know, who is sliding to third. But, you know, this is a moment in, in my history where, you know, I have experienced just incredible mm, embarrassment. And it was, uh, you know, something this morning that we're going to talk about is we're going to look at the first embarrassing moment ever. The first time that shame, um, you know, an extreme form of embarrassment, the first time that it has ever entered into history. And uh, I think we can all relate. There's all things that we have done that we have felt this about. And so I just want to pray for us before we do that. Lord, I pray that you would meet us this morning and that you would speak um, to us through your word. Lord, that, that we would uh, receive truth from you, that it would penetrate us, that your word would penetrate us, and that we would um, respond in freedom, that we would receive um, more of who you are this morning and, and more of who you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just, just to make sure that we can get through everything this morning, I'm not going to read the whole story, but this comes from Genesis 2 and 3. This is the story of uh, Adam and Eve and that first fateful uh, mistake that people ever made. And so uh, we're going to pick up in Genesis 2. And so what's happened so far is God has formed man out of the dust of the earth. He's, he's put together man. He's breathed life into him, um, created him, given him life. He's given him rulership over the earth. He's given him authority to, to rule over the earth. And he tells him, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He tells him, you are free to eat from any of the trees that you want, but just don't eat from that one. So he establishes his authority and he tells him, you know, this one thing that he's not to do. And lastly, he declares that, you know what, it's not good for man to be alone. And he creates woman from man. He creates Eve. And uh, Adam is stoked. He sings a little song. God declares the, uh, the importance and, and the unity of marriage. And then this verse is there. It's Genesis 2, 25. So Adam has just received Eve. And um, it says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And some people love this verse. Um, some people can't believe it's in the Bible. But uh, yes, Adam and Eve, they're together. They're naked and there's no shame. And we could just glance right over that. But it's, but it's important to understand that they were totally out there, <laughs> for lack of a better term, totally exposed with no shame. There was no experience of shame. And so, you know, what, what do we learn? What, what's happened? What is it that we've experienced with shame? And so let's talk about, well, what, is, what does the word even mean? So where better to go than Webster? Webster uh, defines shame this way. A painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. It's this emotion that results from different things. Different things like guilt or not living up to a moral standard. Some moral standard that we've held ourselves to and we've, made, uh, we've come up short in that standard. So we've done something maybe that we knew to be wrong. Or maybe it's a shortcoming. It's not living up to some type of performance standard that we've had. Um, you know, we've lost our job and we feel shame as a result of it. Or we don't drive the right car or whatever it might be. We feel this performance, uh, we don't measure up to our own performance standard. Or it's impropriety. We don't live up to some cultural standards. The way that we dress or the way that we look. Um, we don't, you know, subscribe to whatever TV tells us that we should look like. These are all different things that, in the Webster definition, 
Um, he would describe shame can be an emotional response to those things. I would sum it up by saying not living up to some form of standards, that some offense, something that we've done that does not live up to standards, whether they're moral standards, whether they're standards that have been imposed on us from society, um, but something along those lines. Biblically, um, shame is closely tied to the word nakedness. It's, it's closely tied to this idea of being exposed, of being out there um, and experiencing shame as a result of it. Now, it's important that we recognize the word is kind of a hot hot button with people. Um, There is true legitimate shame. There is true legitimate, it is is a legitimate response in certain certain, um, experiences, like we're about to talk about Adam and Eve and the mistake that they made. And shame is a legitimate response to what they did. To, to recognize the feeling of guilt and having an emotional response to that. Sin leads to shame. When we sin, it leads to shame. When people sin against us, it can lead to shame. When they sin against us, that's not a legitimate response, though. That's not a true form of shame when we, when we look at it in the Scripture. Most people would agree that somebody who lies all the time should be ashamed. In other words, they should feel an emotional response to what they're doing. Um, this is the kind of shame that when the Bible, when the Bible talks about shame, it's talking about this legitimate shame. Um, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit says that he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And what he's saying is when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict you. He will, he will make something true for you. You will believe it will be a conviction that you hold that this is the right thing to do. This is the moral standard of God. He will convict us of that. He will give us that truth. And if we don't live up to it, an emotional response that we may experience would be shame. And that would be a legitimate response. Now, I say that only because many of us have experienced illegitimate shame, false shame, toxic shame, whatever you might want to call it. John Piper describes it as misplaced shame. And that is shame that results from something that We had no control over something that was done to us. It was something that we should not feel shame for. Hopefully you agree that I should not have felt shame as a bat boy getting pelted with a ball. You know what I mean? Like, I was a kid. I didn't know what I was doing, right? Um, We shouldn't feel shame about how we look because TV set some kind of crazy standards that nobody can live up to. We shouldn't feel shame for abuses that we've experienced at the hands of somebody else, we shouldn't feel, we shouldn't take that upon ourselves. That is not legitimate shame. That's not the type of shame um, that we're talking about. We shouldn't be ashamed of lies. Lies that have been said to us or lies that have been said about us. Those are things that is a false, toxic shame. All of these are examples of misplaced shame that can hurt us in, in, in different ways. And so this morning as we talk about shame, I just want to differentiate between those two, between true legitimate shame and then, um, and then false or toxic shame. So okay, let's go back to the story. So we've established Adam and Eve, they're created, they're together, they're loving it, they're running around naked, kibbles and bits hanging out, and they're totally without shame. They got no problems uh, with it at all. Now, it's important to note that I do not believe in most Orthodox evangelical Christians will tell you that you don't have to run around naked to be Christian, okay? But you will find some who think that that's the way it should be. Um, We don't subscribe to that theology at River City Church. Um, 
We believe that that was originally the intent, but then after sin entered the world, things changed. So you need to know that just in case anybody wants to Google search any of the scriptures and stuff that I'm talking about this morning. Just know you may run into some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, yeah, Christian nudists are a lot more popular than I thought. Um, all right, so we know what happens next. We know wh- where this is going. They fall victim to the temptation of the enemy. He comes at them and uh, twists the truth in a way to get them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then this happens, Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. The eyes of both of them were opened. For the first time, they saw something that they hadn't seen before. They realized that they were naked, that they were exposed And so what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they experienced shame for the first time. This legitimate form of shame, right? Because they they did, they they made a mistake. They didn't live up to the standard that they knew that God had. And so they felt this. And and, in their response, I think we can learn a lot, especially in terms of unhealthy response. Everything they do, I believe, is unhealthy. This is an unhealthy response, and we, we're going to see that in just a minute as we see what God does. Um, okay, so they, they experience this shame. They feel exposed. They know that they haven't lived up to the standard. And so what do they do? They work hard to cover themselves up. They work hard to cover themselves up with fig leaves. This feeble attempt, as if like God's going to be like, oh, hey, yeah, nothing bad happened because you've got fig leaves on. Like, really, that's going to work. But in their mind, like, they're like thinking anything. And just like us, I think it's something that we can get caught up in, that I'm going to cover myself. An unhealthy response to our shame is I'm going to cover it up. I'm going I'm to make, I'm going to work harder. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to go to church more. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give more. I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to do to cover myself up. I'm going to sew together the best friggin' fig leaves you've ever seen. I'm just going to do it. It's unhealthy response to our shame, trying to cover it up. Deep down, we've experienced this emotion. We've experienced this chasm between where we are and and where the image that we bear is of of, of God. This chasm between where where we want to be, where we know we should be, and and where we are. And and we respond in in a way of covering it up, trying to not be honest with where we really are. We have an awareness that we're not where we're supposed to be. And so just like, just like Adam and Eve, I think this is something that we struggle with, covering ourselves up in our feeble attempts. The first unhealthy response that we see. Okay, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Think about that. Adam and Eve, okay, they were only a week old, so I'm assuming. They're so they're, but, but, well, they're young, I, I don't know, but it just seems crazy that, why would you run from God? Like, like at this point, God is, God is good. God, you know, everything about God is awesome, but but what they, when they experienced that shame, this unhealthy response that they had was to hide from, from the best person that they could go to, the person that could heal them, the person that could deal with them. But, but instead, they hide because they believe that, that they can't go to him. They hide 
As if God's really looking. As if God can't find him. That's what I think is funny. Like God's like, that's like me looking for my five-year-old when he's hiding. You know, like he's always in the same place. You know, it's, but God's like, where are you? Because I don't know. But we do the same thing. We hide. We hide from him as if he's not going to find us. We're afraid. We, we experience this fear, this fear uh, uh, that he would see us the way that we truly are. This fear that he, we might be rejected or that we might be judged for whatever shortcoming we've had. And this is something that the enemy would use against us. That in our shame, he says lies like that. You need to hide from God. You better not let God see you like that. You can't be at church. You shouldn't go to church. No way. Do you know the things that you've done? You'd be better off hiding. You'd be better off staying at home. You'd be better off anywhere than going to church. That is a lie from the deepest, darkest pit of hell to tell you that you, in your shame, need to run away from God, that you need to hide. But what's awesome is we already see the character of God because he seeks them out. He seeks them out. He goes and he finds them. Where are you? Where are you, he says. And then we pick up in Genesis three eleven through 13. He, was, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Okay. There's a couple different ways to read this verse, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it. That is definitely one of them. He sounds like a whiny little, oh, the woman you put here with me, she's the one who gave me some fruit. Right? That's one way to read it. Another way to read it is, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit to eat. Either way, this does not bode well for Adam. In his shame... He's trying to put the blame on anybody but himself. He's trying to look at anything. He's trying to put the blame on God. You're the one that, hey, hey, I'm not one. To, you're God, right? I'm just, I'm Adam, but I'm just saying, you put her here. So what'd you think was going to happen? You know, like that's obvious. But, you know, Adam makes this, this, this remark, and I think that it, it speaks to where we are in our shame. Many times we can start to blame and to, and to start looking at other people and, and, and there's this venom that builds up inside of us against other people. Um, again, I'm talking about, and in, in this case, it's a legitimate shame. It's something that Adam did. He needed to own it. He needed to deal with it. He needed to bring it out and let God heal it. Uh, but instead, he, he's busy uh, blaming it on others. Now, at least Eve, she takes ownership, man. She says, hey, serpent deceived me and I ate. <laughs> she doesn't play any games, um, which is, you know, that's good. That's, that's more healthy. Uh, so, okay, we see, you know, this is the way that they, unhealthy responses uh, to the shame that they experience. Now, let's take a look at, at how God kind of interacted with them. Let's look at the character of God, and let's look at some of the healthy responses that I believe God is, healthy responses that God is promoting um, in this. The first thing is, I love I love the way that he keeps asking questions that he already knows the answers to. What? what? Oh, did you eat from the tree? Like, you didn't know? Who told you you were naked? You know, like he's asking these questions. And I think it's, it's encouraging, look, talk, get it out. I need to hear it. You need to say it. See what I mean? God's not really looking for the answers. God's not wondering, oh, I wonder what happened. 
No, God knows, but he wants to hear from He wants them to, to be able to come to him. He's trying to teach them, look, I am good. I am faithful. Come to me. Trust me. Be sincere. Don't hide things. Don't cover yourself up with fig leaves. Come, tell me. Tell me, I love you. I'm good. I'm going to provide for you. Don't try to cover it up, but talk to me. Be honest. In humility. In humility, come before me. And this is later, the Apostle John gets to write these words. If we confess with our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There is value in confession. There is value in going to God and telling him, I've done this thing and I want, I want you to know. And God's, God's not shocked. <laughs> But there's value in that and articulating it, of getting it out. There's something about that process. That's why John would write that, that if we confess with our sins, it's, hey, I got news for you. If, if you don't have to confess every sin to be forgiven of it. But if you want to experience freedom from it, if you want to experience abundant living today from that thing, there is value in confession. If you are dealing with shame, there is value in talking to God about that thing, of getting the words out, of saying something. Sometimes it's talking to other people, but it's definitely talking to God. Okay. So talking to him is one healthy response that we see that God is encouraging him to do. Um, But then God goes on to describe the consequences of what they've done. So he said, basically, you guys, you wanted to eat from the tree. I told you not to. And exactly what, what... Uh, was said is going to happen, you now know. You know, not just intellectually, not just understanding, you know good. You've experienced good, but you've also experienced evil. And you will know good and evil. You will know in everything that you are, you will be able to know this. And there will be consequences of that. And he goes through uh, the list of things that are going to happen as a result of that. And amongst other things, they're going to be driven from the garden. Amongst other things, they will leave and they will go into the, into the world um, that they will no longer live in this garden. And then there's this verse right at the end of it. Right at the end of, of God kind of, you know, telling them this judgment. Telling them this is what's going to happen. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good, just God. And because of that, you've got to leave. Because of that, this is, this is something that you're going to have to deal with. And, you know, it's one of the harshest, in my mind, before I, I read this one verse, it was, you know, one of the harshest experiences with God that, we, that I could imagine would be the guys who screwed up the first time. Like, can you imagine, you know, anything worse than that? But then there's this verse in Genesis 3.21. So this is right after he, he tells him this, this judgment. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Think about that. He didn't have to do that. He could have kicked them out with their fig leaves. But what he said was, your feeble attempts to cover yourself, there's not going to cover it. But I, I am willing to sacrifice. I am willing to go the distance to help you. I'm not saying that there's not going to be consequences from what you've done. But what I'm saying is I'm there with you. I love you. I'm filled with mercy. I am just, but I am filled with mercy and compassion. And I want to restore your dignity. I want to lift your head up. You can't lift your own head up, but I can do it for you. 
I can restore that for you. And think about that. He made garments of skin. There's an implication there, right? Something died. Something gave up the skin. Think about that. So the first death, how would you like to be that animal? You're like, I don't know, what goats? I don't know what you, what you kill. So you're that first goat. You're hopping around in the garden. Hey, there's God. What's up, God? This place is awesome. Zap. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. The first death ever to happen in the garden was an animal that was sacrificed by God. Why? Out of his great mercy to cover up Adam and Eve, to cover up their sin, to to restore their dignity, to give them something out of his mercy as they're leaving the Garden of Eden. That's incredible. God is not vengeful. God is not hurtful. He doesn't want uh, to hurt them. He wants to help them. He wants to restore them. This is all This is all foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice. This is all foreshadowing of what God will ultimately do for all of us in Christ. That yes, blood will be shed. That there will be a sacrifice that God will do that will once and for all decisively deal with shame. That that sacrifice will be complete and total. This would allow Paul years later to write in his letter to the, to the believers in Rome, therefore there is, no, there is now no condemnation. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because there, a sacrifice has been made. And not just goats, but God himself taking on flesh and blood, sacrificing himself to restore, to lift up your head, to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. This is the solution for shame. It's going to to him and letting him be the one to restore us, letting him be the one to speak truth. Whether it's true shame, legitimate shame, or false shame, it doesn't matter. It's going to God. It's going to God and let him be the one to sort it out. Let him be the one to clothe us. There's beautiful language in the New Testament that, that I believe all relates when it talks about us, us being clothed in Christ. That we are clothed in righteousness. This is the result of the ultimate sacrifice that was made. That we can now receive not clothes of skin, but of righteousness, of Christ. And that when we go to him, he reminds us of that. He reminds us of that when we're surrounded by lies that people have said or things that have been done to us or sin that has happened to us and we believe we're ashamed. We believe that we're not of value. We go to, we go to him and he reminds us, no, you are of infinite worth. I, I would be willing to sacrifice, sacrifice on a cross to be able to do that. Why? For the joy set before for the joy set before Christ, he was willing to, to endure the shame, all the shame, All the shame that we've ever experienced, Christ was willing to take upon himself on the cross for the joy of being in relationship with us. For the joy of of being in our life, for being in that right relationship. Does that mean we're not going to experience consequences? We're going to experience consequences, but God is there. God is filled with mercy. He's filled with goodness, and he wants to clothe us. Consider this verse, because I believe it sums it up. 
everything that we've talked about. And it's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we have confidence, we should be filled with confidence, not, you know, timidity, not, oh, well, I need to hide behind a tree. It's confidence, so we can have confidence to enter the most holy place, the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, the curtain that would separate us, the sin problem that we've had for so long. We can now op- it's now opened through a new and living way. And as the body, it's the body of Christ that has allowed that. And since we have this great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Full assurance of faith. If we believe, if we believe in Jesus, if we believe in the resurrection, if we believe like Derek was talking about this power has been poured out on us, that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that that God loves us in this way, then we have full assurance that these things are true. It's all wrapped up together. We believe that that sacrifice was so that we could enter into the most holy of holies with God, that we could be set free from our shame, so that we could be set free from those things that we've done that have in the past made us feel shame. We get to go without a guilty conscience because we've been set free from those things. And we can hold unswervingly to this hope. Why? Because we believe. We believe that he who's given us those promises is faithful. This isn't Tom. Well, I'm Tom. But I'm not, you're not believing in my promises. You're believing in the promises of him who's much more faithful than I am. Someone that you can believe in a lot more than me. And that's God. God is the one giving us these promises that we can go to him and that we can be set free. So what does it all mean? How do I sum it up? I believe when we feel the need to cover ourselves, when we feel the need with our own attempts to to sew fig leaves together, that God will be the one to clothe us. God is the one to clothe us in righteousness. And when we're ashamed of the things that we've done or things that have been done to us or things that we've been told, we go to God for the truth of who we really are and how he really feels about us. When we have that sense that we are not who we are supposed to be, God will be the one to make us what we should be. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that works inside of us to make up the difference, to make up the gap between where we may be and where we want to be, where God wants us to be, to be able to experience everything that God has. When we're ashamed and afraid of God, we look to the sacrifice of his son and we realize that his love is greater than our weakness. His love is greater than our weakness. Even in that place, we look at Christ and we realize that his love is that great. And lastly, that no one who banks in his hope on these promises of God will be put to shame. It's a consistent theme, Old and New Testament, that we will not be put to shame by believing these things, by putting our faith in the one who's given us these promises. So let's stand and respond We can understand something and we can believe it. We can tell our friends about it. We can write about it on Facebook. We can email each other. 
But ultimately, is it real? Has it, has it penetrated our hearts? I can't do that. But the Holy Spirit can. It's something that we're promised that he will do. That he will reveal truth to us and that he will lead us to that. And so let's pray right now that he would do that. That he would free us and speak to us. Lord, um, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit. That he would uh, have full reign in us this morning. That there would be nothing, no barriers between us and what you may want to do. That there would be no barriers between us and what you want to tell us. And for those of us this morning who are experiencing shame as a result of things that we've done or that we continue to do, we come before you this morning and ask that you would cover us with your son. That you would clothe us in his righteousness. Deliver us from working so hard to try and cover ourselves up and to put out this false image of ourself working to appear like we've got it all together. God, we lay it out and we ask, forgive us. Forgive us. Because of your son, Jesus, forgive us and empower us by your spirit to change. And for those of us who are experiencing shame as a result of lies or hurts or things that were done to us, we pray the same prayer. Clothe us this morning in Christ. Help us to abide in him. Show us who we truly are and how you truly feel about us. Penetrate our hearts this morning, we ask. Penetrate our hearts with your grace and establish us as your sons and your daughters. Amen.